Today's reading is from Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We'll be reading from the New International Version. Please follow along as the text is presented on the screens above. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. How do you say it's cold in here? How do you say it? Um, I was thinking about it as, as Jenna was sharing about our finances, and I'm thinking, you know, hey, the gas company, we're, we're paying them, we're paying them, just so you know. Yeah. That's, maybe that's a, a good ploy to uh, get you to give them. Uh, that's, that's, that's not my best thought right now. All right. Um, a couple of things before we get, get into this. Uh, one is that I am leading something called The Journey, and I'm trying to kind of figure out who's in and not. And if you've, if you've told me you're in, or if you'd like to find out something about it, just come see me or, or send me an email or do something. It's a really wonderful way to grow your faith. And I have a bunch of names on a list and I just can't remember like, who said what. Part of my phase of life right now. Okay. And then um, uh, I also want to say that I'm going to be using some terms today that relate to our topic, LGBTQ+. And you may not like the way I use terms, but, and here's a glossary of these terms that uh, there are copies in the back. And what I, the reason I chose these terms, and I'm not going to dwell on this, is simply because I've read things on both sides. There's to be the people who are the most generous in this conversation using these terms together. And that's where I'm coming from. And um, yeah, if, if you, uh, just, just be gracious uh, in that way, I would ask. Uh, I want to start by uh, actually reading something to you. And um, so I gave this some thought. And uh, I I do it because this is, it gives you something about where, I also ask you to think about where you're coming from. And the idea is that when we come to this, uh, this topic, of hospitality, but also just the LGBTQ plus community in general, uh, I want to uh, I want us to realize that we all bring something to the conversation. We all come from different places, and we have life experiences and things that have shaped us to get us to where we are. So here's here's just some of mine. Uh, none of us has a blank slate as we come, and none of us can say I am totally objective on this one. That's why I'm starting. Here's what I bring. My imperfection. I bring my imperfection and my capacity for being wrong. And um, no, you don't have to ask my wife about that, but that's what I'm bringing. She knows. I'm bringing my sexual sin and brokenness. Uh, 
I was, uh, I was a, a teenager in the 60s, and, you know, I, do, I did stuff. I bring that. I, I bring my experience of being molested by a priest, a Christian priest, in my early 20s, which I've shared before. I bring my conversations with gay people, both non-Christian and Christian and I'm going to define these terms, and they're on the glossary, both side A and side B. And those are terms that are, are agreed upon, at least by some, and I want to uh, reference uh, two voices here. Um, a side A Christian would be Justin Lee. And by the way, I believe next Sunday you're going to, if I, unless you change, you're going to hear Justin Lee uh, if you go to the 9 o'clock uh, I've forgotten what we call it. Collective learning, yes. And uh, he will be in a, quote, debate, although it's very civil, with a guy named Preston Sprinkle. And just the name Preston Sprinkle makes me want to come, right? Okay, so Justin Lee has written a book called Torn, and it's, it, he's writing it as a, as a gay Christian. That's his, I, that language is on my thing. A gay Christian who believes uh, in uh, that, that, and I'll get to some of this later, but that... Um, if you have same-sex desires, the Bible is, is okay with you acting upon those desires in a committed, long-term covenant relationship with another person of the same sex. Okay, that's Justin Lee using, and he would identify with side A, and then side B would be, this is, I just pulled this off my shelf, Wesley Hill, who is also identifies as a gay Christian, but who is committed to a life of celibacy. Okay? Side A, side B. I've talked to both of them. My conversations include them, uh, not just books, but real people. I want you to know that. Back to my little narrative here. I bring my memories of an employee and also of a cousin who died of AIDS. I bring the guilt and shame of my teen years when I was part of labeling and bullying with words and actions. I bring my memories of being found by Jesus and feeling loved in my mess. That's a good place to go back to. Of attempting to walk this new life by faith and experiencing my ongoing need for repentance based on what Jesus said about life. And then going to seminary and being trained by godly men and women who held what is called now the traditional view on the topic at hand. I bring my conviction that Christians have lost the culture war and that by continuing to fight it, it only hurts our ability to communicate the gospel of God's love. You probably heard me on that one, but I really believe that. Uh, And that's a tactical statement. You may disagree with it, but anyway, I hopefully uh, bring my growing, deepening, learning self, my unsettled self, my hurting self to this question that seemingly has two sides that hold views that are ultimately irreconcilable. I also bring in the end a conviction that God will have his way and I will be okay with his way, (laughs) whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, This is what I bring and more. Obviously, I bring more than that. But I ask you to think about what you bring to this and how it has been shaped by your history your story, your life experiences. And be honest about that. Um, All right. I I guess I just start out with this thing. I do think that we can all grow wherever we are in loving God more, in loving people more, 
in being more hospitable to whoever God brings into our life, into our midst. I believe that's where I'm coming from today. And we may have different ideas on how that can happen, but I think that would be a good starting place for all of us. And um, I want to get into this, this story or this scene that appears on, in Luke 15. And we're going to look at the text. Remember what I said last week? I believe it's malpractice for a pastor to not get grounded in a text. The Bible is, it speaks authoritatively to us today. And we'll look at the application for us, and then we'll close with a little gospitality or us and God moment. Okay, we're, we're in uh, Luke 15, and um, this is a, I, I want to just touch on the context before we go to the text. If you look at the surrounding kind of atmosphere around this passage, you'll find some interesting things. It's in a section that some call in Luke the, um, the outcast section, because there's different people identified as outcasts, or society, socially outcast from the main culture of the day. And um, we find it in chapter 15 in, in three different ways. We find the, the lost uh, uh, sheep, and then the lost coin, and then finally the point of, I think, where Jesus is really going, driving it home, is the lost son. And in fact, we find out the irony of that is that the real lost son is the older brother, not the younger brother, if you know that story. It's the most famous story that Jesus tells. But we're going we're gonna to take on the lost sheep here. But what, so we're in this outcast section. But what you also notice, and this is really important if, to understand who Jesus is, I believe, is right before what was read for you. I mean right before, at the end of chapter 14, there's maybe one of the hardest things that Jesus ever says to whoever is listening. And we are, these are people who are following him around. And he, it relates to what it means to follow him. And he says, unless you surrender everything you have to me, you cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus exclusive? People who say he's not exclusive don't know that verse. He's exclusive. Unless you surrender everything to me, you can't be my disciple. Okay, that's hard. So you have, here's what I'm trying to get with you. You have this tremendous mercy of God that is overflowing and, and knows no bounds, and then you have these statements from Jesus that, that's ah, really hard. And people like me have to balance it out, make sense of it. Well, good luck, right? I mean, that's hard. But anyway, that's, that's the context of this passage. And uh, I would suggest the way forward is to not, not expunge either side of this, but we have to hold those two things together, that Jesus is full of mercy, and he also says things that ask us to fully surrender to him. So there's the context, and then the text. We, I want you to picture with me what's going on here in verses one. A table, uh, there's a table, but it's got food on it. Kosher food, because we're in a Jewish setting. And Jesus is sitting there, eating food with who? Tax collectors and sinners. So you have a particular category of a sinner, and then you have this broad, and you're supposed to, if you're in a place like this, you're supposed to identify with Jesus sitting at that table. That's, I mean, that's the right answer here. And you can imagine Jesus having uh, a measure of joy and uh, a meal shared with, with people that he loves. And maybe some laughter and a good vibe that's going on there. And then, uh, into the picture, come, um, let's see... Our, our, what's the opposite, a protagonist, what's the other, the, the enemy, the enemy shows up, all right, 
And it's in the form of these people called the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they are standing over, and I think it's helpful for us to imagine it this way at least, standing over, meaning they're, they're standing up and looking down. And so looking down, physically looking down at Jesus, enjoying a meal. And when you enjoy a meal with somebody in that culture, more than today, in, in Middle Eastern culture, it means I want to be in community with you. And we know that Jesus is saying, I want to make a new community out of people like this. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's an offense. They are, there's a huge objection in the atmosphere that takes place. And there's this word muttering. Uh, isn't that a great word? Mutter. Uh, what's the mutter? With you, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, okay. It's important to get a little laughter into this today. And yeah, thank you for doing that. But it's like murmuring or complaining, we, we grumbling. We, we talked about those words a few weeks ago. So muttering, they're muttering. What are they muttering? And it's, I'm, not, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's basically, does he know who he's eating with? You know, does he really know? And Jesus is picking up on this. And um, this is a place to ask the question. If you were to see Jesus eating with somebody that's in that category of outcast. And we can imagine a letter on our t- uh, the sermon title today, LGBTQ+. If, the, if the, Jesus was sitting with them, what would you say? Would you find yourself... This is, this is where the text comes home to us. And if you can say, if you can be honest enough to say, yeah, I think I would have a reaction if I saw Jesus sitting with this person, then Jesus has a story for you. Here we go. Here's the story. There was once a man who had a hundred sheep. Nice round number. So he's probably wealthy to have a hundred sheep. And he uh, notices that one of the sheep is not there. He does the count and there's a sheep missing. And he's inviting, so in the way he tells the story, he's inviting the Pharisees to identify with the owner of the flock. Kind of saying, what would you do if that happened? And the right answer, they would probably say, I would go out, yeah, I would go out and look for that one sheep. That's, that's the right thing to do. The Pharisees would probably say that. He's getting them to say that. And identifying that, and in that way, it becomes personalized to them. And uh, the shepherd is looking for an animal, and I said this a few weeks ago, and I, I don't know when it was, not too long ago, that sheep, and I'll use the word that is, is, I'll use it to wake you up if you don't know this, but sheep are really stupid. <laughs> they are really stupid. And this is not to... Uh, I'm not being pejorative if there's any sheep here. Actually, uh, <laughs> sheep lovers, little fluffy things. Don't you love those little lambs at Easter though, right? Okay. But uh, sheep, yeah... <laughs> Yeah, sheep, they, they are, um, of God's animals, they are, Jesus told this for a purpose, and of course in the Old Testament, 
We are all like sheep who have gone astray. This is where we're going here. So, but anyway, let's just say a sheep is really stupid. They're, they're dependent. They will die without being found by the shepherd. They're, they're just at great risk. There's lots of enemies, and they just get lost, and they have no uh, GPS, whatever. They're just lost. And then the shepherd goes out, and this is, I'm told, uh, true is that the, shepherd, the sheep might see the shepherd coming from a great distance, and the sheep will just lie down. Or do nothing. They don't, it's not like a dog where you call them, here, you know, whatever. They don't do that. They're not wired that way. So they just kind of lay down. And then the shepherd comes and ties their feet together, puts them on his back, and, be, and takes them home. Totally helpless. The picture of salvation from God. We're totally, we're like sheep. We've all gone astray. We have nothing to offer him except our brokenness, our mess. And uh, he finds, now here's the question, and this is, you have to really decide this just for yourself, but I'm gonna tell you my understanding, and it comes from a deep tradition, is that obedience is not a precondition to love. You got to get that right. This is bedrock biblical truth. And we make a great mistake when we think that obedience on our part is somehow going to trigger God's love. And hopefully that's not even true in your family. That your children aren't, your, your love isn't conditioned by their obedience. So there he is, this little lamb, she, whatever, and uh, Jesus puts it on his shoulders, or the good shepherd puts it on his shoulders and walks it back to the flock. It's a beautiful picture, a loved sheep. Now, the response of the sheep, and this is a word that we're going to have to hover over for just a minute, is to repent. And I would, for the sake of, uh, of getting rid of and fleshing out any baggage that you have with that word, the Greek word is metanoia, and it could also be... Uh, translated something like restructuring your life. Now, how many of us can restructure our lives in a moment? It's pretty much impossible. So it's going to take some time. It's going to be messy. It was sure messy for me. It still is. Martin Luther, if I can quote him, said that all of life is repentance. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I mean, it's backwards than what we think. I mean, we think you get to a place of maturity where you don't have to repent anymore. No, it's exactly the opposite. You probably have to repent. You, you, you feel like repenting even more because you understand the holiness of God and all this stuff. And so all of life is repentance. Uh, this sheep does repent. And uh, here's, here's where the rub is. Now, this, this is where the crux of, uh, or at least w- one way to talk about the differences that we have on the issues at hand. And by the way, I'm going to be speaking to the L and the G in the LGBTQ plus thing, but it, the principles apply pretty much across all the letters. Um, the, the traditional view is that we, we need to re- repent as a response to the love that we've received. It, 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 because God, it is hard. Back to the surrender thing is equally as important as the mercy thing. And you receive mercy and you surrender and uh, there's nothing easy about this. 
And they would say, well, you, you surrender your greed and your selfishness and your lust and the long list of things that we struggle with on the inside, things on the outside as well. And um, yeah, that's, that's the, and included in that would be uh, any sex outside of a, a committed relationship between a husband and wife. That the Bible seems at least to be consistently voicing a long-term covenant relationship between a man and a woman in, a, in a, what's called a covenant relationship. That's the traditional view. It's the view of our denomination, as you know. I think you know. Now, there's that. And then when another, the other open and affirming view on this passage, if I, if I understand it right, if I hear it right, would be, yes, I agree with most of everything you say, except that because the, the Bible was written at a time, you know, long 2,000 years ago, back further into the Old Testament writings, that they didn't have this category uh, of, um, I'll, I'll use the word homosexuality here, but that's the word that gets translated in the text. Uh, they didn't have the same category that we have today where you could actually have two uh, people of the same gender marrying each other in a committed relationship. So uh, that's the open and affirming view. And that view has gotten, so it, it would be repentance in every other way, every other way, including sex before marriage, by the way. I mean, it's, if you really listen, uh, at least the, the, that's the view of, of Justin Lee. And um, this is a view that has taken root since the 1980s, or has gotten traction since the 1980s. And uh, when I, I'm just coming clean here, this is part of what I bring to the text, what I said earlier, my training, et cetera, et cetera. When I hear that view, it sounds, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but it sounds revisionist to my ears. So I, 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 I'm out there on that. I, that's where I, I come from. Uh, I'm willing to listen, though. I want to learn, and maybe there's more that I'm to learn there. So there's, there's the rub. It's over that word repentance. What is not up for grabs in this section, I want to close this out before we get into the application part, is that you have a God who is seeking lost people. And you have a God who is infinitely joyful when he finds one. And that's how this thing ends. The joy of God. He, he, he's more joyful over the repentance of one than over the 99 who don't need to repent. And by the way, if we go elsewhere in Scripture, they do need to repent. They need to repent of their self-righteousness. Um, so, but that's not in this parable. But uh, I'll bring that out as well. Okay, so application for us. And I'm going to just focus in on... Part of the, the deal here, and it's true every Sunday, is you can't say everything there is to say about this. We have, we have there's been conversations, there will be more, and uh, there's a, a show up at nine o'clock, and it, you can enter into those as well. And there's plenty of resources and books on this stuff. But here's, here's what, I, I want to make application that I hope is fair to uh, both sides. And maybe, maybe this is where we can all learn a little bit more. Uh, who is your them? Them. Who is that group that you love to label? And really, when we, we label, I know we have to do some of that in life to get, to get on with it. We do have some 
Republicans and Democrats, and we have liberal, whatever. We, we label people, and whenever we do that, some of it we have to do, but whenever we do that, we tend to shrink people down, and ultimately, if we overdo it, we dehumanize people. We dehumanize people, and they become a label to us, and history is full of this. And it's, it's not, um, it's been done, it's, it's, if you listen today, it's being done by, in, in our culture, uh, in the political realm, obviously, by both sides. Everybody, everybody seems to do it. And I, there, there's a line there that is easily crossed. Now, one of the things that I've noticed is that when you, this is something just from 25 years being a pastor or maybe being just my life, but uh, I've noticed that the them in my conversations around this has shrunk a lot. And the reason it shrunk a lot is I've noticed, and notice it with others too, is that when you know someone, especially someone that you love, who is one of those letters, the LG, let's go just LG, whatever, that then they are not a them anymore. They are my brother, my sister, my cousin, whoever that person is. You, you rehumanize them by bringing them into your relational orbit. And if you don't have somebody in your relational orbit who is... They, they just remain the them. And they become dehumanized. And it's really sad. It's really sad. We could be talking about any number of things right now, but it's, it's really sad in this case when you have things like depression and suicide and lives on the line. Now, I want to I say, um, well, it, just know that, just know that I've, I, I've, I've sat with people in tears. Uh, they were in tears and me bordering tears from these categories that, I mean, these are honest, sincere people that want something and they want to know something from God. And, and um, anyway, my heart does go out. There's another them, though, in this conversation, and I want to, um, if, you're on, if you happen to be more on the open and affirming side that I want to bring to uh, light right now, I want to show you some names and pictures, and these are people who, are at, who have been um, called, elected, nominated, whatever you, however you want to say it, because the, the ECC has become the them, the them. And I think it's time that people own up to this as well. These are good people, folks. I know some of them, not all of them. These are not bad people who are wanting to exclude anybody. And they could be wrong, but I want you to look at their faces and know that they have stories, that they too were lost sheep that Jesus found, and they have been called by their brothers and sisters to serve. And they don't always do it well. Can you pray for them? Can we pray for them? Here's some more. I, mean, I you know, it's just uh, when we can, I'm trying to humanize the word or the phrase ECC. That's all I'm trying to do. Okay, that's application number one. Who is your them? Application number two, be careful with words. I'm trying to be careful with words, so... Hear me on this. I'm trying to preach to myself right now. But I want to pick out three words. The first one is sincerity. Sincerity is a good word. Let's be, it's, it's a limited word. You, can't, you can be sincere and be wrong. 
or you can be sincere and be right. Sincerity doesn't determine truth. That's a a phrase to um, hang on to. But people who are sincere don't, whichever side they're on, don't deserve to be called a hypocrite. And and, uh, I've heard that. It's, um, yeah, sincerity, at least we deserve to, I mean, if we're insincere, then hypocrisy is at stake. But, so let's go to the word hypocrisy or hypocrite. And let's realize that at least in this age, but probably in every age, that it's impossible to say something is right or wrong without being called a hypocrite, right? Because, why is that? Because whoever says something is right or wrong is a flawed person. And so in other words, who are you to say something is right or wrong? And so you're going to, you run the risk every time, and boy, even parents, I mean, I can still remember my kids pointing out, you know, and they're your kids, they see how you live and, oh, God, why'd you give me these kids, you know, but, <laughs> but when I said something was right or wrong, yeah, and they fire back, but you, you know, so it's just in the equation, we have to be really careful with the word hypocrite. Now, if we do choose to call someone a hypocrite, I have a, I have a third word, sincerity, hypocrisy. The third one is judgmentalism. There's a pretty good risk that if you're calling somebody a hypocrite, that you're guilty of being judgmental. <sighs> is there any way? You know, this is really complicated. And then we have to realize that, kind of like with the word hypocrisy, it's almost impossible. We have to live in this world where we make decisions every day, what is right and what is wrong. What is true and what isn't? We're, we're making, is this wise? Is this unwise? We have to make judgments, in other words. And Jesus is okay with judgments. The line is when we look down on other people, back to the Pharisees looking down. That's called sin. Looking down at other people. The ground at the cross, as the old saying goes, is level. Level, level, level. And we love to look through that window at other people's sin rather than the mirror that reflects our own sin back. Just realize how capable we are of that. Whichever side we're on here, these apply. Okay, so there's the careful with words part. And then the last thing I want to ask is, is this a safe place? Um, And I'm going to ask it from both sides. If somebody in your world, somebody says to you, and let's just say they're one of the letters up there, is this a safe place for me to come on a Sunday as a gay person or whatever? Is it safe for me? And my hope, and I want this to be your hope, all of you, is that you would say yes. Yes, it's a safe place. Now you may not agree with everything you hear, but it's a safe place to be. That's my hope. And I will, as, as pastor, I will, I will do everything I can to be that good shepherd, protecting and not casting stones. Okay, there's that. And then here's a question that I've heard from more than one person. Is it safe for me to hold the traditional view here? Because I feel like and, I, and I, I don't speak up because I'm just kind of quiet or whatever, but I feel like if I speak up, I'm going to be accused of being a homophobe or a bigot. 
Is it safe for me here? That question gets asked as well. So who are we? Are we safe? Now, I haven't given you all of the uh, answers today, and, um, and uh, I'm about done. <laughs> and this is, this is what I do. Um, and if you, it, you know, I don't know. Let the, let the dust settle on this, and we just keep walking. And if some of you just can't keep walking with us, you know, it's okay. This is... But I want, I want to close with God and us. And I want, you to, I want you to picture yourself as that lost sheep that God comes out to scoop up and put on his shoulders. And you have nothing to do with that other than just be passive. That's the picture that is in this text. On the shoulders. And it's a way for us to see the hospitality of God at least in two ways. One is toward any person who, with any of the letters that, that they identify with. That they, they're that person and you and I can be in, the, in the, the arms and feet of Jesus. We can be the good shepherd. We can be that person that brings God's love to them. We can also be hospitable to each other. And that's another application for us here. Whether we hold whichever view we hold, and I've given you some ways to do that this morning, as as well. Um, God, whatever you know, wherever we are, I think we can say this: God is so hospitable that He comes to a, a, a little sheep that doesn't have their life together; they're just a mess, and He picks them up and He puts them on His shoulders. Is that not a picture of hospitality for us? I'm going to ask Sharon to come on up, and uh, I usually close, you know, out my own sermons with prayer, but um, I think she's given this some thought, and she's, she's, she's as much an owner of this conversation as, as I am, and yeah, would you pray for us? Let's pray together. Oh God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We begin with the awareness of our own need of you and the realization that you are God who has a seeking heart, that you pursued us, each and every one of us, wherever we were, wherever we still are, in brokenness, in selfishness, in pride. You came after us and you lifted us up and you made us your own and we are eternally grateful. And Lord, we recognize the many ways that we've been the people who've stood there and muttered and complained. And oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for the ways that we've dehumanized others in our language, in our actions, in our attitudes. Forgive us for making assumptions and not seeing the creation of God in each and every person. Forgive us, Lord for language that divides, for actions that marginalize. And then, Lord, we ask you to help us to walk in full truth and full grace. It's impossible to do without you, 
Holy Spirit. We thank you that you, Jesus, are the model for us in all of these conversations to be able to be and speak truth and to be and show grace. And Father, as we do this as a congregation and as individuals, we trust you. You have your church. You love the world, each and every person, and we want to be part of being hospitable to all. So show us the way, Lord. And may we go in this way together as much as we can. You love your church, God. And we desperately need you to continue to lead us in your way. That you go after the lost. You call us all to repent. And then you rejoice in all those who find true life in you. This is our prayer, Lord. We need you in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.